Hi, I'm Judson. This is the Hero Interview Series, something I've wanted to do for a long time. I'm so excited to introduce you to some of my fitness heroes. Hey, this is a video series as well, so if you'd prefer to watch it, be sure to check out the video portion on my YouTube channel at Judson Creative. And if you're here for the audio, then let's get to it. There's an opening scene to the autobiography of your life. Like, what's the narrator saying about young Dan? He is looking at the residue that's at the bottom of the trash can you put out every week. <laughs> and it just being like, I should probably clean that up, but it is a trash can at the end of the day. So I might, I might just leave it and let it just accumulate more over the weeks as it goes. <laughs> that is what the narrator is talking about. Only to say that there's really nothing special. I think we're a product of how hard we want to work, the determination we've implemented, and and just the opportunities that are around us. And I would hope that that's what the narrator sort of sort of doing as he wheels my trash can in and out, <laughs> and the residue at the bottom from your weekly garbage is there. That's where that's what the narrator's definitely saying. I have a feeling your trash can today is very clean. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> when you think about like that B-roll that's rolling in the, the childhood phase of your movie, what, what kind of scenes are they showing? What kinds of of movements or scenes or colors, senses, what they see. Yeah, I think it's just innocent exploration, just trying to figure out what the heck I, who the heck I was, what the heck I was doing uh, in a more substantial way. Like this pure innocence who was like, I don't know what's going on with me. This individual is something that you could potentially relate with. This intersection of multiple identities, potentially first gen, second gen, whatever everybody might be. And going like, how the heck do I navigate this and sort of create or solidify an identity that I am okay manifesting or more academically speaking, performing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The performing piece really resonates with me. That's something therapy has brought up a lot too. Just like, you're performing a lot, aren't you? And I'm like, read me a little bit more. Thank you. <laughs> but, but I do love that. And it definitely is something of just trying to figure out what the hell is going on and like the voices that are happening inside of you and the people that are telling you what to do. It's a lot. Um, so it does give me a bit of a picture of what your childhood could be. Obviously as a first gen individual, family has always been at the heart of what a lot of us probably experienced. So that's what we're fortunate to. Um, and so it was on the go familial structures. And what I mean by that is there was always this inter, like it was you know, the interstate, everybody was going across aunts, uncles, cousins, everything was always forms of authority, forms of dialogue, that sort of thing. Um, I'm the youngest of 32 cousins, which some people might find pretty small, to be honest with you. I've met people close. But <laughs> I'm the youngest of 32, which means like I had cousins who were as old as my father that I call uncle. And so it was on the move. It was constant. It, it was on the move, not in the physical sense. It was on the move and on the emotional, on the filial sense, you know, creating these bonds, this kinship with people that I had blood relationships with, but at the end of the day, it helped me actually come closer to what I wanted to be, you know, through those formative years, that sort of thing. Yeah. The whole concept of movement or this organized form formulation of movement is so foreign, I think, to non-Western identities. And maybe that's something you can talk to as well, or, or at least have familiarity with. It's so foreign to us. So it's so crazy when people are like, oh, you must have come from a really active family. I'm like, hell 
no like to this day they don't want to exercise they don't want to do anything it's like me i'm the only one i'm yeah, the anomaly so amongst i relate with that with my parents specifically because i think my mom has come to one fitness class like when i first started too so it's like i can only imagine what our parents may think of what we do and i hope that you've showed them like some of the videos of stuff you do so that they don't think you're like oh dan's just up there like shaking his ass in a leotard you know what i mean like i feel like my father can barely microwave a cup of coffee so i probably don't <laughs> ask him to navigate an app or digital media at all my mother <laughs> but i'm childless so my mother probably i'm low on the totem pole in my mother's priority <laughs> my siblings have kids so i'm definitely higher up You know, when you think about the origin of your movement and stuff that like got you into the space, I know you started taking like body pump in France, for example, when you were in your late yeah. teens, it was. Was there stuff before that that you were like interested in trying or was it just that woman selling you the membership and saying, oh, <laughs> I'm just going to go figure this out? <laughs> Being active, wanting to move, wanting to create a sense of belonging, something that we always talk, you know, talk about, you know, I wanted to do that through normative ways and normative ways for a teenager to do that for an adolescent to do that is through sports and i thought that i could carve a place for myself out in the world in a masculine dominated world through sports and that's really what i tried to anchor myself to was like look i can be a normal boy too i can be a normal white boy basically if i could talk about that you know just because i was racialized very young on there is a large diaspora population of arabs in cleveland in detroit in large areas but I grew up in Cleveland in that respect and I was always racialized and so my I think a lot of what I do or a lot of what I was motivated by was that concept of trying to be mistaken for whiteness to try and appeal to whiteness and so I just bring that up because sports was my entry into that it was my way I could hang out with the Kevins and the Sean's and the Jerry's and the, you know, like <laughs> other individuals, it trickled into France because there was no organized sport in that. Like when I got sent abroad, when I went abroad and I, you know, I could only focus on my education and there was no outlet. There was no other way for me to form a community or pretend to pr pretend to belong. Cause there are a lot of critiques to, to be said about wanting to belong to a community that you don't necessarily have any like <laughs> Um, but that's where this whole movement piece came from. That's where I was like, I can't play any sports. And I see all these people having a really good time in the gym. I want to belong to that. And that's where that comes from. That's something you've said in past interviews too about identity and how a lot of that contributes towards creating that community. So I hear that highlighted there of like, as a child, that probably one of the most formative pieces of like finding a sense of belonging is in like that mutual share of sports and traditionally going to be the mask for mask side of a activities that come along how performing that sense of community creates that excitement that joy for living the feeling of being alive and when you look back on that time now at your age of 23 what do you think <laughs> about when you see that young version of someone trying to perform out those things to feel alive how does it feel to think about that person a really powerful question because to one degree i'm so happy with where I am right now, but in doing so, and potentially through your own, you know, exploration of your own identities or 
you are too. You recognize the issues that you had to confront and the scary moments that you had to traverse, overcome, you know, literally climb over like an obstacle in order to get there. So there is joy in that being like, wow, okay, I, I hate saying that it was worth it because it never is. We should never subject ourselves to a trauma in order to find a better version of ourselves. <laughs> like that's, that's so unhealthy, you know, like <laughs> terrible. But I, I look back, I look back with joy because at the end of the day, if X didn't happen, I really wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if I never walked into that studio because I never would have found less novels, you know, or I never would have, yeah, I would have never become a group fitness instructor if I had not had that experience. That idea of standing outside of the studio being like, well, I don't have anything else. And these people look like they're having fun, fun that's similar to what I used to reproduce, you know, back in the States. Let me go join that. And so I'm happy because in this temporality, in this moment right now, sharing this conversation with you, it is the result of the bravery of doing those things. It is the result of being isolated in a foreign country. It is the result of subjecting myself to normative values that I should have never done. But that's the product of the 90s, you know, like... <laughs> you know, we do what we can to fit in. And I agree with you. It's like, I it shouldn't have subjected myself to trying to like so many girls or like try to want to play tennis. Like I just, it wasn't, it wasn't ever meant for me in that way. It was just a means to like find community and not have people question about you. We were never told that our honest desires were to find community. It was just this insecurity of us being not like others in any form. It's not just skin tone language ability disability linguistic differences all of that like we were not like them and therefore this attempt to participate was an attempt to be like them when all we really wanted was a form of community as you were saying. curious because you said you know that decision of course led you into body pump led you into body attack and taking other classes you made the decision to become an instructor and so i know you've mentioned cycle was like your favorite to teach the longest time can you tell me a little bit about that i saw it you know yeah Yes, but my labia are still scarred from how many cycle <laughs> classes I've taught. Like I used to teach five or six times a week, plus palm, plus like all these other things, because it was just this breath of life, this excitement. I think like any other sort of new and young group fitness instructor subject themselves to, because your body can take the wear and tear and you can go through that. Cycle resonated for me, and it's a bit it's a bit corny and cheesy. It's the very less known answer in that. I love music first, and I wanted to communicate the love for the music through some form of movement. And the easiest way to do that, the most accessible way to do that was cycle. You know, uh, yeah. finding the rhythm, the beats, having people challenge themselves with extra resistance to flow to certain beats, having them sit and stand, but really, like, really celebrate their own movement and do so to music. I really am to this day still very adamant about the fact that cycle is so accessible to individuals with hips and knee issues, to individuals with coordination issues, to individuals who can't follow music. Like, it's just a good time. But I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> but that's where I'm <laughs> with it. And maybe maybe that's the queer individual, or I think everybody loves music. But like when you find that song, you want to communicate your joy for that music, and you want to communicate it through some form of movement, and you can be a dancer, you know, you can be a weightlifter, whatever it is. But I feel, I felt as though at that time, Cycle was the easiest way to get people hooked into the music I liked. Cycle is not my forte. I really appreciate it. And I'll hop on a bike every so often. But then like between your legs, I'm like, for a week, I'm so upset. And it's, yeah. just not, it's unforgiving. You also mentioned back in 2013 that the only thing you had left to teach was yoga. And you were scared of that because yeah. it was hard for you to stay still. So has that changed since 2013? Have you taught a yoga class yet? 
Oh yeah, I definitely, I, I'm body balance certified and nice. uh, I, I don't have a regular class because we have a lot of body balance on the schedule, but I do sub where I can. And in fact, I have a class next week, which is kind of exciting. And then I have a class in two weeks because I get to pick up shifts on the, on the group fitness app. So yeah, I've slowed down. I've started to think about it. People compliment me on my one nine hundred voice, uh, my sexy voice for yoga. Starts to sound insane. I it, it's an it's a it's really hard to do things that your personality doesn't necessarily align with, but you have to align. Um, I I love challenges, and what I mean by that is I love to jump higher, run faster, push harder, move things that are heavier, and I've never conceived of the rehabilitation that's inside of yoga or body balance as a challenge when I really need to, when I really need to understand that relaxing more, sitting into positions more is maybe one day it'll get to me. Susan Renata or Tully used to say that all the time. We're all body balance instructors one day. And so she's not wrong. I mean, the day is going to come, you know, and when I just get back and prioritize some balance, but it's not there yet. Sarah Gunn is getting me and it's helping me through. From knowing you, you know, Live in the suburbs. You have a beautiful golden sure. retriever. Work in academia. Thursday, I better than Jock. <laughs> so, when you think about your relationship to masculinity, this is a really broad question. So, I guess I kind of put it more towards the fitness sense. How does it feel to to kind of create your your identity to to live that out as a queer person and something that could easily wash over you as a, a masculine film? I have for the longest time. And still am, unfortunately, in pursuit of this myth of masculinity. And so then my actions are always ingrained in that. And like I said, it's iterative. It's daily. It's it's everything. I went for a jog, you know, today at lunch. I'm going to go teach body pump later. It's all of these actions that contribute to this goal of mine to achieve that which does not exist, which is this mythic concept, this definition of masculinity. And that's a very academic thing to think about. It's very philosophical as well. Wow, masculinity really doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. Feminine, you know, femininity <laughs> doesn't exist. They're, we say it all the time. They're, they're. I don't want to say they're social constructs. They're just constructs. You know? uh, and fitness has both permitted me to freely explore that a little bit more and try to figure out what I want to do and what I want to be. And then also has put chains that are pretty heavy on me into what is expected of me as a fitness instructor. I believe, I totally believe in, you know, body neutrality. I totally believe in everybody is capable of doing this. But I also think that as a representative of the fitness industry, there's an ex expectation of, I shouldn't have to answer, but I do answer. It's one of those sorts of things. So I am, you know, I am responsible for perpetuating this myth of, of a rugged masculinity of fit masculinity. And I feel guilty at times because I never want to gatekeep. I never want to keep people out of the joy that is whatever I do, group fitness, fitness, training, presenting, like, I, I don't care. As long as you have the abilities, you know, that's all that matters. It's something, you know, like, it's always something that we've talked about in body attacks sometimes too. We don't give a shit what you look like. We just care if you can move. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. That's all that matters. And, and that's where I try to mentally think. And then I realize my hypocrisy when I walk into a body pump training with a sleeveless shirt on. And everybody's like, my God, your arms are so great. And you're like, yeah, because I have to train them six times a week in order to fulfill this role that as a body um, where we have chiseled toned muscles, you know, that sort of thing. Or wow, your legs look great. And I'm wearing five inch shorts to do a body attack training so that they think I'm a runner, an athlete, that sort of thing. So it's right. funny because I have more permission to do whatever the hell I want to look however the hell I want, like all that stuff. 
But then on the other side of the equation, I feel this absolute burden that I shouldn't to appeal to what people expect out of the fitness industry. I want to talk a little about body attack because we've both been in it for so long and I'm so interested in your history with it and your influence and the evolution of where the program has gone. When I think back to the program, you know, around release 80, we had this shift to the 3D coaching model. And so if you're listening and you've just started teaching body attack a long time ago, we had a lot more aerobic beast tracks. And so you'd see a lot more performance, you'd see a lot more choreography. Whereas the evolution of this has fallen more within those three dimensions. In your journey, what moments of body tech history stick out to you from when you started to the road to today? Yeah, that's so fun. I've been, in case anybody was wondering, I've been teaching since 48, um, which whew, that's a lot of body attack. Like back in the days when it was like three cardio peaks, we didn't have an agility <laughs> track. It was just every track that wasn't gallops. And the hamstring curls was hiding runs and jump jacks. Like that's all So that reason she really liked it. So that's a formative moment is realizing that transition, introducing agility in sports based training, shifting that agility training. And, and when I say agility, I just mean like multi-directional, quick transition speed, you know what the definition of agility is, but it wasn't ever constructed to what contemporary body attack might look like. Shifting that agility into actually a sports realm, like there was a time in the 70s, late 60s and 70s when she really had like a sports, like remember handball, then we had soccer and tennis and like all of this other stuff. And then she shifted away from that into a more like, I don't want to say functional, but she just really tried to replicate training drills inside of agility. So I really, I always think back to agility and its evolution. We saw more shifts, we saw athletic strength develop where we combine upper and lower body training. Uh, largely because everybody would leave after track nine and not do the lower body strength. So <laughs> we combine, like, combine them into a, a, a total body strength track, that sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah, those are the big evolutionary moments. And, but it continues to evolve, you know, as instructors who, who will be getting their releases pretty soon. You know, we're introducing the circuit into track three, a simple, straightforward, aerobic-based workout um, that allows individuals to cater more towards their population, Gen Fit, Gen Z, whatever it might be. Or even just their gyms that that are like, I, you know, I don't like supers and jump, you know, I don't like supers and single knees and things like that. Is there anything else we could do that's aerobic based? Yeah, here's a new circuit that you can introduce. And then we're trying to do the same thing. There's more evolutions that are coming. Track nine, you'll have another option as well, which is pretty cool too. Um, those are little secrets. And then the stretch too. We didn't I just found out that the yeah. stretch, I found out like a month ago the stretch is gonna change, you know. So it's like those little tidbits of fun that are coming out. And I think the evolution of the program is still just trying to keep it contemporary rather than niche and so i would love it if individuals who watch this or who are appreciative of body attack continue to explore the accessible nature of it by understanding what the programming should look like for their facility what the programming can look like for their facility and make sure that this doesn't seem like a niche program that only caters to x individuals but rather is something that everyone can approach you know is the the rpm of the land world if you will <laughs> or i hope instructors understand to what degree she always thinks of them and the participant. So on the instructor side, she is always asking herself, can my instructors learn this? Can a new instructor learn this? Can an instructor who has difficulty moving learn this? 
And then on the other hand, she's always thinking of the participant. Can the participant do this? Who has no knowledge of what instruction is and memorizing choreography and things like that. Are there too many changes? Is there too much up and down? Where can I really challenge them physically, but also make sure it's accessible to people who have never moved before? You come up with something great and then you're like, oh no, this may not work for the purpose, but it's so cool. So it's like, yeah. you know, it may feel like sometimes like you're watering down something or you're like going against something that feels right or maybe just trying it. I think that's so cool that she's able to do that multiple times a year <laughs> for yeah. so many years that she's done that and it speaks to her i i know just seeing her last month at summit was great to hear from her and how she reaffirmed her commitment to the integrity of the program the history of the program while also pushing its limits forward and it's nice to, to see that in the space because you still get a little bit of where it's been in every release but you also get something brand new and it feels pretty wild that we can still find new stuff, new combos, new, 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 new forms of plyometry, you know, new forms of power training that you're just like, wow. And it really does warm my heart when people talk about how much they love it, but then also release because it shows that the individuals that are putting their heart and soul behind it have it impacted. And it's a small team like of people that really talk to her about movements and music. She has a, a larger, a larger trial team. You know, she keeps it tight because she wants individuals who are invested in the program involved, you know. Personally, you've mentioned how much the music means to you and, and letting that express outwards. Is there a particular release or maybe even a particular song that just like really sits at your heart? Like it'll always give you goosebumps. Oh, I can't make it through. What was it? Two releases ago, that interval track. Um, oh, Unbreakable. Can't make it through Unbreakable. Oh. Uh, Unbreakable, Unbreakable, the funny story behind it. I, and I, I don't know if Lisa's aware of it. She is, she should be. But we had multiple interval songs for Unbreakable, like for that particular release. And she was like, Dan, Dan, just choose. And I chose Unbreakable because I was like, this is gonna be, oh my God, the instructors are gonna go insane. Like, cause I have my finger on the pulse. I know what instructors like, you know, I know what resonates with them. A lot of instructors still talk to me to the day, you know, via DMs, emails, text messages about a release. And so I picked out Unbreakable because I thought it would be another see the light. I thought it would be another on my way. I thought it would be another clouds above, you know, like these epic interval tracks from the 60s, 70s. And I have never gotten my ass handed to be so hard in an interval track with that song. I literally barely can teach it. I have to stop. I always have to take a deep breath. I'm always like, what was I thinking picking out this song? Um, and she's sitting there saying, you know, she's sitting there saying, tell me you're unbreakable. You know, you're unstoppable. And I'm like, bitch, I can't. It was like, <laughs> I can't see it right now. <laughs> Hi, it's Editing Judson. I just realized I was at the filming of this track, so here's what I recorded in London. Anywho, back to Dr. Zaddy. Uh, yeah. So I always regret choosing that song. So that would be the one that gives me the, the goosebumps and the chills. There's so many different songs that I've had the privilege and the opportunity to just make an executive call on where she's just like, pick one, pick one, pick one, you know? And uh, thankfully she agrees for the most part. But <laughs> Unbreakable is the one that stands out just because there's so much in it. There's so many. I mean, think of your own life. Anybody who's watching this, think about your life um, and those moments that you've had to overcome, not just fitness moments, but just anything. And of course, you know, there's always this looming, this haunting of like, you know, the trauma that we all suffered by losing a teammate with Adam, you know, like, and I'm always just like, yes. this was not the right song, but maybe it's the right song for stuff was. <laughs> no, yeah, I just like to break up Unbreakable because I hope individuals are able to not only 
I hope they're not just teaching it as an interval, but they're they're actually teaching it with the purpose of helping people realize they can be unbreakable. It's such a powerful track. I agree. So <laughs> fuck you. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot. It would, yeah. It, there's so many tracks like that. Things in their life that connect to that song. They have nothing to do with it either. They just remember things, and it's that moment of like, oh, like your heartstrings just pull, and it's the most yeah. magical thing. It happens in body attack so often. I guess for me personally, it's like there's so many to go back to. I, I hope people share what their favorites are. I hope people say what their favorites are. And, and like, because like we just released I Got That Text, though. Like that song, the second we heard oh, it, the God. second we got the rights to it, yeah, we just we went absolutely nuts. It's, yeah, I hope people have those every release. The opinions expressed by the individuals in this project are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Judson Creative or associated brands.